Hi, beer friends. Welcome back to Brews with Broads. I'm your host, Hannah Keim. This week's guest is someone who I've been following on Instagram for a long time, who I first met in real life when she was casually perusing the beer shelves at my job, and I very awkwardly introduced myself to her, and who, after this interview, is maybe my new best friend. It's Courtney Eisman, aka at Highway to Hops on Instagram. Courtney is a freelance journalist and consultant who, as she puts it, casts a wide net and covers culture, music, food, and of course, beer. It was such a treat to learn about her creative process, her thoughts on what progress looks like within beer, and maybe most importantly, our shared history as theater kids. I know I feel a major kindred spirit energy with her, and I think you will too. Cheers. Courtney Eisman, welcome to Brews with Broads. Hi, I'm so excited and honored and honestly nervous to be on one of my favorite podcasts. Well, now I'm nervous because you just said <laughs> this is one of your favorite podcasts, um, but I'm really excited to have you and to, I feel like, I don't know, I have like so many different questions to ask you than I normally ask because I just did a deep dive on all of your amazing beer writings, but before we get into that, are you thirsty? Do you have something to drink? I am and I do. Oh my God, tell me about it. So I am uh, representing sort of one of my newer favorite NYC area breweries-ish. It's called Maku. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Maku. I don't they know. make Makgoli, which is like, it's kind of its own thing, but the founder Carol Pack sort of likens it to like Korean rice beer. Um, so I have this blueberry version. I've only had a, like a, an original flavor one before, so I'm excited to try it. And the cool thing is you have to like gently shake it. So it's like you get to, you know, give into that like bad urge to shake a can without it exploding in your face. Wow. Wait, can I see the yeah. label? Oh, I have seen this. Wow. Yeah. Truthfully, I had no idea what that was. And now I'm going to have to seek it out. Yeah. Um, Great. And as, you know, as it relates to a somewhat recent article you wrote about low ABV beers, I'm rocking a grim light. Oh, that's a good one. Because it's the afternoon and to full disclosure, did not eat lunch, had a cookie. So I got to be coherent here. Cookie and light beer for lunch, kind of. (laughs) This is a health food podcast. All right. (laughs) Let's, let's crack these puppies. All right. Ooh. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I do have some spillage. Perhaps I shook a little too far. <laughs> a little too aggressive. Listen, you were following directions, and as a rule follower myself. It's a delicate balance, you know? Oh, God. It's hard. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, this is, like, a really fun color. It's very, like, Willy Wonka violet. If you can see, I feel like it kind of looks more gray in the camera than it is, but. It looks, like, kind of milkshakey. It is. Woohoo. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. I'm so excited to have you here because I feel like, you know, most times I talk to people who are like involved in, you know, like nitty gritty brewing or like within the brewery, mm-hmm. but you play such an important role as, how do you identify? A journalist? A freelance writer? Um, All of the above? Interloper in beer. Interloper. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, I I do some like content consult. So I'm like a little bit consultant, a lot journalist, I would say. I feel like I lead with journalist. Yeah. I mean, you play such an important role. 
helping us all zoom out or zoom in rather and really examine like what is going on in our industry. But I'm jumping my own gun a little bit. Before we talk about that, what is your pre-beer life? How did you get here? What's what's your deal? <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a, a roundabout way here. Um, I'm born and raised in Rockland County, which is just outside the city, a little bit upstate. Um, I acted, sang and danced, which is, I know we, we relate there, uh, all growing up. So from maybe like age eight to like through high school. Uh, so thought I was going to do that forever. Obsessed, you know, did the whole like touring thing, the Broadway thing, uh, couldn't imagine anything else. And then I think when you get to high school, like I took a beat to be like, oh, I'm going to try this like regular school, like full-time thing. And it sort of started to scare me because I was like seeing people that I knew split from the business, you know, like some people were like sticking with it and going places and other people were like, I'm moving back to Kentucky or whatever. Um, And I was just like, you know, what? I want to have a backup. Mm. So I ended up going to Fordham for screenwriting uh, communications, but I wanted to do like screenwriting journalism and just sort of like figure out different kinds of writing. Um, and that just sort of like took me into writing. I never wanted to really like go back to the performing side of things. Uh, so I am a classic writer trope in that I am still a wannabe screenwriter. Like that's my secret of like, but here, read my screenplay. Let me flip this to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started writing. I went into fashion because that seemed at least adjacent, like in terms of it's artistic, it's exciting, it's fast paced. Uh, and I did that for a few years, both again on like the copy marketing content side and then as a journalist. And that industry is a lot. I made my absolute like best friends at certain jobs and I'm really grateful for that. But then I feel like everyone else was just like made it sort of a difficult environment. I mean, everyone knows the stereotypes about fashion and they're pretty true. Uh, and this whole time I was like hobby obsessed level with craft beer. And so when I kind of got to a crossroads of my career and I was like, well, I've, it's not fashion anymore. Craft beer seemed like the furthest I could go. Like I was yeah. just like, this is like a chill, welcoming, like I can be myself. I can geek out over this beer, you know, like no one cares that like my dress is so last season. Uh, so yeah, that that's sort of been the journey. Obviously I can't not go back to the theater thing because as a fellow theater kid, so you were like, you were auditioning as a kid. Yeah. Did you work? Yeah. yeah. Were you a book dress? Oh my God. Give me, I, give me the credit. <laughs> oh God. I, I was, again, I was theater. I yeah. mean, you, you know how harsh the industry can be. I was told, frankly, I did not have the face for TV or film. Thank you so um, much. Yes. We love to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and weirdly, like no one ever believes this, but you know, like we would have, cause I, I did like dip in and out of regular school whenever I wasn't working. And the other moms would always like approach my mom like she was a stage mom. And it was like, no, 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 no. My mom would love if I quit. Like I am <laughs> like she is giving up everything to like haul me around the city. And, you know, um, so a lot of people think like, oh, hearing that kind of rejection, did that not like ruin you? And it just I was having so much fun. And like, that's what all my friends did. And I got to see my friends at auditions and rehearsals. And it kind of just like rolled right off. And I all it really did. I did commercials. But I was a I was a, a habitual screen tester. I would get down to like the bottom two for like anything to like film or TV and not ever get it. But it made me into just like a, I was like a 50 year old like 
seasoned theater actress at the age of 11 where I was like, well, I would never do film anyway. Like I'm smoking must... a cigarette on 59th yeah. street. Like I, it's not my art. Right. Exactly. So I just decided that I was going to be a theater snob forever. I have to tell you the 11 year old me is jealous of 11 year old you because I grew up to, as I'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing. I grew up doing theater, obviously, also in St. Louis. And I had like two or three maybe people like from, you know, my network kids I knew whose parents like moved to New York with them to do to like because they booked Broadway or whatever to audition with them. And I remember vividly being like, why won't to my parents? I have a younger brother who was three and a half is three and a half years younger than I am. Why won't you move to New York with me? It's not fair. You don't love me. They were like, no. We live here. We're not going to go get an apartment in like Astoria so you can audition for Broadway. You're 11. Go do your homework. But I wanted to be you. Well, I think mine was easy because we could commute into the city. Like I have a younger brother too. So I don't know how it would have played out if it was like a big move. No. But I mean, I knew those kids. I knew kids that like moved to LA and like the family split up. I mean, it's, it's intense. It's wild. But I'm, yeah, I'm glad to hear your mom was in a hardcore stage mom. My parents weren't either, but that can be, we've, I, we've both seen that. That's, that's a, oh, another yeah. podcast for another time, but oh, yeah. I'm last question. I'm going to ask you on this for now. Do you have a favorite like show you did when you were a kid? Favorite show I did. I mean, I did so many. So, um, we were, I know chatting before and you brought up Annie. I did Annie a lot. Like I did Annie at Goodspeed Opera House where it started in Connecticut and then Broadway and then tour. Um, so that was obviously like where I like met my community, like learned the most, et cetera. But my favorite show, I mean, I did so many of those weird, like there are 50 people in the theater, like black box theater shows, avant-garde situations. Like I loved one where I played the daughter of like, um, I was in a mob family and I don't really think you can get more Irish looking than me. So like that was so fun like (laughs) I love like gangster movies so like I got to learn stage combat so like no one has ever heard of it no one will ever hear of it unfortunately but that was probably like my my favorite moment I mean let it be known that I'm 31 years old and still bitter that I never got to play an orphan in Annie so (laughs) I'm jealous well back to beer so how did you get into beer as a hobby did you have like a specific gateway beer that set it all off for you? Or what did that look like while you were still working in fashion? Yeah. um, Well, when I was in college, legal drinking age, of Mm -hmm, course, mm -hmm. um, the, again, like looking for all those worlds that felt like adjacent. When I was in high school, I got really just into the local music scene. Uh, So at one of our venues that was more like punk, hardcore, whatnot, um, they very slowly, like toward the end of my like still living in Rockland days, started to filter in a few craft beers. And the first one that I really fell for was the Kelso Nut Brown Lager. Um, So then by the time, oh, and actually, I don't know how I forgot this, but a brewery also around that time opened up in the town over from me called Defiant. It is still there. It is still awesome. Uh, and my friend started working in the kitchen. So like I would go hang out at the brewery all the time and like wait for him to get off his shift. And it was like the first place. It was so different to me than a bar. Cause I was like, Oh, I feel comfortable hanging out here alone. And like, I can like sip on these different beers and like, what is this? Like, what is an Amber? Like, what is an IPA? And like, so I learned a lot there. Um, I met my now husband and he was like kind of on the, like a, at the same point in his journey. 
And we just started going to, you know, he was in Boston. I was in New York. And so it was just like exploring all those like Belgian beer bars that were really big, like 10 years ago or so. I mean, not that they're not big, but you know, that was sort of like where you went to drink beer. It wasn't like Bud Light. And yeah, once we were both living in New York, it was like finding those cool places in New York City that you actually have to travel to get to that had an amazing beer list. So like Rattle and Hum, um, yeah. Spite and Dival in Williamsburg. And that was like really where I just like sort of got all the education from very patient, very generous bartenders. <laughs> I think that's a it's a great point. Bartenders in these types of places play such a huge role. And I think it can be yes. so easy as a bartender to be like, you don't know what that is and like judge your guests. But like, had those bartenders not been knowledgeable and then patient with you to relay that knowledge, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here. So Oh no. I had I had to have a bartender like explain to me why a barley wine wasn't like the regular like I would just always get a barley wine. And he was like, you know, like are you feeling good in the mornings? Like what's (laughs) No, the answer is no. I was like, no, that's weird, huh? What's going on? What else should I try? (laughs) That is so funny. Oh man. And so I'm going to refrain from asking you about any like Devil Wears Prada type stories in fashion because like <laughs> that's not why we're here, but know that like I want to. <laughs> Noted. So once you decided to like make that sharp left turn out of fashion and into beer writing, what did that look like for you? It was more of um, like a slow drifting yield mm. than a sharp left. Thank you Just for going because... with my driving metaphor. <laughs> of course. Just because I... So... I think about a year or two before that was when I left full-time working to go freelance. Mm. And I'm like, so a lot, you know, like my friends who work full-time are always like, I don't know how you can freelance. Like I need to know, like I am getting this much money on this Friday, every, like all the time. I'm fine with that. Like I would much rather cobble together my own schedule and just like control how much I work if I want something like, you know, I mean, obviously freelance life can be rough. Like there are droughts and whatnot. And then, you know, you work extra hard when stuff comes along. I sort of was like, okay, figuring out that balance. Um, So, but I I wanted to be prepared in other words, to make a long story short. So I started like freelancing at the same time as working full time. Oh, wow. So that it wasn't like a hard drop into like, whoop, I have nothing now. Uh, So when I left fashion, I I had already sort of started freelance writing for places on fashion to make that transition easy, but also like food and drink, like, you know, covering restaurants in New York travel. And I think that that sort of was like a little connector piece. So that when I started pitching places to be like, Hey, let me write about beer. I know I've never written about it, but trust me, I love it. And I know some things about it. Uh, It would mean I was at least like, okay, but I've written about like the wine program at this restaurant or you know, what have you. Um, so, you know, I did what all writers do and I, you know, wrote some stuff for free. Um, and then I feel like my first like sort of byline that I was excited about was Hop Culture where I was like, okay, like this is a beer outlet that like I love and I come to to read every day and like I'm getting to write for them. And so it sort of just like snowballed from there. And, you know, you mentioned that you do like consulting and that you also write your website says uh, rather that you write about like um, music and culture mm-hmm. and food writing as well. Was the goal always to like cast kind of that wide of a net or were those things an outgrowth of writing about beer? So 
first and foremost, to get this out of the way, just to be completely frank, I mean, financially, I don't think it's viable to be a journalist and hone in on one beat anymore. You just like you need you need to cast that wide of a net Mm -hmm. to like, again, I like cobbling together is like my my like approach my term for like how I work. Um, I also am like a little bit not all over the place. And, you know, I just like I love a lot of things. And I like geek out about a lot of things. I'm always going to be obsessed with music. Um, so I never wanted to like totally leave that behind. So yeah, I did kind of always want that to be sort of like satellite beats that I was covering, especially when they like music and beer intersect a lot more than I previously thought, which I've learned about through covering those areas. Um, so, you know, they relate a lot. Um, I got to like talk about them, like writing about each other, like mm-hmm. each other things sort of. So I feel like it kind of all comes together. Uh, but yeah, it, it that's born out of like both necessity and, and also, you know, my own interest. But I mean, I love how all those things connect and particularly like the idea you touched on it with, you know, that formative experience of your friend working at the kitchen of a brewery and like experiencing beer culture and brewery culture. Talk to me about, I don't know, what what does beer culture mean to you? Well, obviously, I think over the last couple of years, those of us, you know, have learned, like those of us who are privileged to have always had this like comfort, you know, being white, being cis. Like, I think when I was younger and more naive and just getting into this industry and again, sort of like feeling like I was like running away from harsher a harsher atmosphere and fashion uh beer culture to me was just sunshine and daisies and you know uh just all welcoming all the time um you know the whole like 99 percent of beer is is asshole free quote that everyone's been using a lot i you know i've now we're like all right well it's not that maybe it's more asshole free than some other industries um so I do still see a lot of hope in beer culture. Like I do still think that people, the majority of people are willing to do the work, willing to make this a good space for everyone. I think it's not like, it's not okay, but I think for the most part, if we've been failing, it's because we didn't realize. And now we're realizing we're like, we're going to work double time to, you know, open this industry up and make it safe and accessible for everyone. And I do like that about beer, like this, industry the culture like it's failed in a lot of ways but i do think again not everyone unfortunately but i do think there's like a lot of determination there to to reach out to people i've always liked that community aspect you know so yeah i i just i do think that there's a good heart in beer that i've that's always drawn me there like i do think you know a brewery is a good place to gather with people and hold court. It's a little different from a bar in that way. Like, I just think there's like nice communal aspects about beer that don't exist in other spaces. And that make it like a good, like beer is like a good tool to reach people and to like bring people together and say like, Hey, this is broken and we have to fix it. I'm sorry. That was a long answer, but I have a lot of feelings about it. No, keep, keep feeling those feelings. I think you hit the nail on the head pretty much that yes, I mean, right, what industry isn't riddled with its own problems? But I think, you know, as so many people, I've actually never, I haven't heard that maxim that people are saying, like 90, beer is 99% asshole free. I've never yeah. heard that. But to to use another one that people say all the time, like, beer is people. And mm-hmm. you're right that, like, it's such an incredible way to connect, but we, it's our responsibility as, like, 
cisgendered white people to examine like, okay, great. It's um, great. Easy enough to connect with each other who, with people who look like and come from the same place as you do. But how, how do you connect with people who aren't like you and how do we create the space and like not even I don't like saying create space because it makes it sound like we are the arbiters of the space you know what I mean right right when of course but we do have to do the work totally how do we like yeah yeah yeah. scoot over on the bench I guess is what I or like get up from the bench and take a lap and like let someone else sit down (laughs) yes yes that's that's the one weird (laughs) you know you know everybody loves a bench metaphor right (laughs) yeah um well This is something that I hadn't even considered until I just heard you talk about it. But talk to me about what the like pitch process is like. What are some of your favorite outlets? You mentioned um, Hop Culture, but like what are some of your favorite beer specific outlets or publications or what have you that you have been able to write for? Well, definitely Vine Pair. I I feel really lucky that I work with really great editors. Mm. So I think my favorite places to write for are a combination of like, oh, I already loved that website before I ever got to write for them. Um, and then also like working with them, the process is really great. So Vine Pair is definitely up there. Good Beer Hunting is like, I think, amazing in terms of covering the business and the culture of beer and the quest, like asking and looking into the answers of the, these like, huge questions that like really impact beer's existence going forward you know I think they're asking like the big hard questions really well um and letting me geek out on history that you know it's not looking into the future but you know thanks for allowing me to look into the past too um I unfortunately this is an RIP but one of my favorites was October just because like again it was like the kind of beer content that is hard to find like they let me write about um Instagrammers who are celebrating their love of beer through like nail art and makeup art. And I was like, who you don't get to write about this kind of thing everywhere. Like I've always been wanting to write about beer from like the not, I don't, obviously this isn't gender, but I just feel like it goes with that older stodgier stereotype of beer that it's like the only serious beer article is writing about this yeast strain and that is it and we are not going to tolerate any tomfoolery and I'm like I want to write about beer themed makeup like there are so many other people participating and interacting with beer this is such a bigger world and like we're you're missing out on reaching so many more people so you know I, I think I'm sure I'm forgetting some outlets right now but I feel like those are my top like we are getting to talk about much different, much more unique topics that are reaching, I think, like more people. Right. And opening the doors to people who maybe present company included, like don't maybe care that much about the yeast strain. But, you know, I think I definitely followed the article you mentioned about like all of the beer and makeup. I After I read it, I went and followed every single one of those people. They're so cool. Incredible. Like, and this is a tangent. But um, I don't know if you follow Can I Paint Your Nails? Oh, yes. I met her. The amazing she, Talia can art nails. I ran into her at Talia the other day because she was like, you know, taking a can to photograph. And it like, I totally fangirled. And her nails were amazing. So shout out to her. But, you know, you mentioned your amazing editors. This is something I do not know a single thing about. Like mm-hmm. the pitch process. How does like from start to finish, how does that work? 
Um, it's a little different with everyone. And it's also, you know, obviously if I'm reaching out to someone that I've never written for or, or, you know, that I haven't established a relationship with yet. So like liquor.com, for example, was like a recent place that I hadn't written for before. That can be anywhere from like, I send an idea and they get back to me in a week. Sometimes it's four months and sometimes it's a yes. And sometimes it's a no. So you always have to have like, again, that whole casting the wide net, you always have to have like a few different ideas going on for a few different places in a few different realms, I would say. And then the places that, you know, I've developed this relationship with the editors there, like Vine Pair, Good Beer Hunting, uh, it's easier to just get a conversation going. Uh, And, you know, a lot of times then when you already like sort of have a rapport established, even if your original idea doesn't work, again, like I'm so grateful for amazing editors that are like, okay, like I see what you're going for. Like, let's push it forward with this. And like, so usually it's an ongoing conversation. Um, Sometimes I, you know, they'll reach out to me with an assignment too from some places and say like, this just happened. Like, what are your feelings on that? And like, that's pretty cool to be like, okay, like I didn't even take, pick up my head to like, look at that. So now let me dive in there. so maybe this isn't a great answer to your question, but it's a little different with every publication. No, it's a perfect answer. And I guess it leads me to wonder kind of about your creative process as a writer and like where do your best ideas or inspirations come from as it pertains to your beer writing? So I think that this too is like where it's helpful to talk about how even beats within beats sort of separate themselves. Uh, So obviously in beer, you do have the people that are writing and, you know, uh, I know I joked about it before, but obviously those people are freaking brilliant. Oh yes. I'll do respect. I look up to them because, you know, you do have these people that know all the things about all the like technical minutia. I mean, I, I did the first like Cicerone certified beer server thing and man, have I stalled out on the second. So like my brain is like not great for, I always kind of joke that that's why I'm a writer because I like to be able to like do the research while I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Like if you ask me to just stand here and like spout off like technical facts, I'm like, mm, mm, no, <laughs> so I'll be right back. Uh, so, you know, you have people like writing about that. You have people that are jumping on like the super like business end of things and like staying on top of news, like day to day, you have people, you know, you have all these different beats and I've always been into the culture aspect of things anyway. Um, And when you're freelance, that really works out because it does take a little while to reach certain editors. So like, I feel bad because people will pitch me and they'll say, you know, breweries that I love. And they'll say like, we're doing this event tomorrow. Like, do you want to write about it? And I'm like, if I was staffed somewhere, like that probably would be possible because I could literally like turn my head to the left and say, hey, editor, like, can I write about this? But when you're freelance, I'm like, I need like a few weeks lead time mm-hmm. on these ideas. Um, so basically, I am getting my ideas from people who pitch me idea, like things that can sort of contribute to like a greater story of something that's going on, some trend, you know, some roundup, some examination of something happening in the beer world. And then other than that, I mean, I'm just constantly reading, like I'm absorbing all the news all the time. I am on sort of the beer Twitter world, even though it really hurts my brain. Uh, But I do sometimes get ideas from it, or at least like, sort of find out about cool people that I'm like, ooh, they'd be a cool person to talk to for XYZ. Um, 
And then especially a place like Goodyear Hunting, I can even be doing reading about like art and history and like finding connections to beer through there. So yeah, a lot of reading. That kind of ties into what I love about the breadth of what you cover, right? You mentioned like, you know, you have, here are the top five, like low ABV beers that I'm drinking or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. you have this story that you did. This was probably, was this at the beginning of COVID about for good beer hunting as it relates to like the story about the Decameron? The Decameron, yes. That began in the, yeah, it took a while to like, you know, research, publish, but yeah, it was toward the beginning of the pandemic. Like if listeners, if you haven't read it, please go look it up because it's like the nerdiest history. (laughs) It's amazing. Like it's very nerdy. Yeah. To go from like beer can nail art to that is shows honestly on an earnest note that like we can contain multitudes. And that kind of brings me, you know, you mentioned Twitter, which I can't, I can't do the Twitter. It's just, it, it hurts my brain and my heart, but kind of the role of social media, you know, you touched on Instagrammers and beer Instagrammers and stuff. How do you feel about beer Instagrammers? That's like the most broad question I could possibly ask you. But I guess, I guess that's the question. Like, what do you feel like the role of beer Instagrammers is right now in beer culture? That is a loaded question because I feel like there are, as there are beats within beats of beer journalism, I think that there are about 120 different like channels of beer Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've actually, and to sort of uh, convey my confusion of my own feelings on this, I have started an essay on beer Instagram for my newsletter 16 times. And I'm just like, no, that's not it. Like, uh, I don't know if it'll ever happen because I think there is super toxic culture happening on beer Instagram. That's as bad as beer Twitter and should be avoided at all costs. I think sometimes people are getting platforms to put people down. Um, I also am not, this is not a hot take. I'm very allergic to when breweries are posting about the positive changes that they're making to their HR and, you know, these like actions that they're taking to like have safer workspaces. And there are people posting like, I just want to drink my beer. This is stupid. Like people are being so dramatic. And it's like, how do we like turn this channel of beer Instagram off? Right. And I feel like then there's this whole other world that's like, I don't know if it's another podcast. It might be another podcast series about like beer and boobs Instagram because there's a whole debate of like, what is that doing to like women in beer and how we are perceived? But then it's like women should be empowered to do whatever they want. Like, so like there's so much complicated, there's so many complicated conversations going on here. I will, since that's not a question and I've just pointed out that beer Instagram is complicated, the two positive like for sure takeaways I think are Number one, I think it's a great community if you find your people. Like I have met for the first time, this was never the kind of person I was because I like have social anxiety, but I met two like beer Instagram friends IRL this summer and it was like so exciting. And I'm like, these are, you know, like finding other women in beer on this platform and just truly being supportive of each other. Like I love some of the people that I've met and that's so cool. And I feel like, you know, when you're a freelance writer, you have to be on things like Instagram to promote your work. It's just part of the job. But like, that is what like really keeps me coming back. And the second part of that is, I think, as we've seen with, you know, Brian Allen and Rat Magnet and everything that has been happening in beer since the spring, sort of. And then before that, you know, last year, we were talking about how we're 
going to make this thing better for people of color, for women, for queer people, for non-binary people, you know, Instagram is really, really powerful, obviously. Like that is the quickest way to reach people. And of course there's toxic stuff happening, but it's also, we've also seen so many people be able to use that to like broadcast vital information, right? And like unite people. So there's so much bad about beer Instagram, but like, I don't think I would ever say let's toss it into the sea because like we need that aspect of it. Wow. Full body goosebumps. I agree with you basically on everything you just said. And I've spoken about it on the podcast before that I have really complicated feelings about, as you said, like beer can and boob Instagram. It's hard for me to articulate. It makes me feel self-conscious. It makes me feel like, oh, if I want to have any kind of presence about beer on Instagram, I have to be like hot and skinny and like showing my tits, which like isn't the case. And as you said, that's a podcast for another time. But to your positive points, we've seen it, as you said, with Brianne, Rat Magnet, it can be on a macro and a micro level. You know, a coworker of mine is actively speaking out about abuses at the Bronx Beer Hall, which like even as someone in New York City beer, I had no idea about. I agree that it can really pull back the curtain. And I have to also give a shout out to like, I feel the same way. I'm not, oh my God, I would never meet up with like an Instagram. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I'm no way. Are they going to kill me? But the number of people who have, when I'm at Talea, have said like, oh my gosh, are you bruised with broads? Like because of Instagram, it's so uniting and beautiful. And yes, so you're right that it's extremely complicated, but it also helps you find your people. For sure. Oh, speaking of Instagram, actually, that kind of brings me to like your platform with Highway to Hops and your like personal projects. You mentioned your newsletter. I guess those are two separate things. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So as kind of I started to allude to, you know, you have to be on social media if you want to be like, I want to write badly enough and I want to be freelance badly enough that I am willing to like do the social media thing to like promote everything I'm writing and you know and like I mentioned with Twitter you can find ideas on there it's great to be on there I'm I honestly can't imagine like trying to do what I do without being on social media uh for those reasons um but I think you know I would have been happy just posting like screen grabs of articles and beer cans for the rest of my life because again I'm like very awkward about sort of being in front of the camera and oh god taking having a picture taken of myself like out at a brewery is like I see people doing it all the time so nonchalantly and I'm like I wish I had this confidence you would never Um, you would never know that from your feed I will tell you like you're always like giving me a fierce nail a fierce look (laughs) but I'm so with you the number of photos on my camera roll that are like me awkwardly (laughs) like mid-sentence that I've forced my poor husband to take are just it's the whole camera roll. Anyway, go on. No, yeah. And you're you're like, take it really quick. Take it really yeah, quick yeah. before anyone else is watching. And then I'm like, that looks bad. No, look at the background. Why would you do that? Oh, so, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, feel, I know. I see like, you. I feel <laughs> yeah. You. But yeah, so I did that because you just like, that's how you engage with more people, right? And then it, it did, that did lead to me meeting some of these amazing people that I was like, all right, I'll keep, I'll keep doing this. Um, but so really the driving forces in like, I would say- what I'm putting out there on Instagram is like, I do want to always make sure that diversity is at the forefront, right? Like that's really all I'm interested in beer. I'm really bored with promoting like Hayes bro content and I have no, in- who, who needs it? 
There's enough of it out there. Go find it elsewhere. It's not me. And, you know, obviously I'm obsessed with my hometown New York City breweries. So I'm like always want to be all about that. I really just love like celebrating places and breweries and people that I'm like, look at them doing this. This is awesome. Like I could never, like I admire this. So, I mean, that's how I write too, right? Like I'm like, this person has such a cool story. So that's pretty much what I'm doing with Instagram. And then that's why the newsletter was sort of born out of that. Because like I said, you know, like October, these places, like these, these media outlets are going away, unfortunately, like media is not in the best place. And we have less places to write about the things we want to write about. So it's pretty much like Instagram and my newsletter now that I can be like, no, I'm talking about this brewery and I don't care because they're cool. And they're, you know, doing this cool thing for this cause or, you know, anything along those lines. Yeah, I love just seeing, you know, even as someone who also lives in New York City, like whether it's an adventure to somewhere local or if it's you're traveling, I love seeing how you chronicle that. And I would be remiss if we didn't touch on Darby. Oh, yeah, the real star. Honestly, That's so sorry. Yeah. Sorry to no, tell No, I mean, <laughs> please, I know it. She knows it. Uh, yeah, Darby, my pug, she is, I will say she like makes it easier and more comfortable for me to, because you know, I'm like, well, I'm taking a picture with my adorable yeah, dog. My dog. Yeah, she's yeah. adorable, you guys. She is so she's my best friend and my everything, but truly like my reason for existing. Uh, she's super cranky, which people seem to get a kick out of. So and it's also part of like something funny about brewery culture, babies and dogs like yes, breweries attract both. But yeah, so the newsletter is called Hugging the bar. Hugging the bar. Hugging the bar. Yeah. Is there a specific focus for that? That's beer culture as well. So just everything under that umbrella. Um, hugging the bar, the term was, I, this is a nerdy, but I was actually just, I really like funny, like very old time terms for being mm -hmm. drunk. Um, that's not what the newsletter is about or promoting, but that's just funny to me. So I was looking up different terms for saying that. And that one, I was like, oh, but that also sounds like a nice, you know, this was during the, this is obviously still like bars and restaurants are still struggling and need all of our support. And I'm like, I just like all the connotations behind that. And I think it sums up the newsletter in terms of like one week, I might be talking about, you know, these huge important serious issues going on in beer that we're working toward and then the next week mine might be just like rounding up some favorite breweries and it's you know it kind of goes back and forth to like literally everything that's sort of being a person in beer even if you don't work in beer what is that all about what's the lifestyle what's the culture like what does it cross over with so again it's sort of like the beer content that's not gonna like get super nitty-gritty about like ingredients or business it's like who are the people who are the stories mm -hmm. You know, and it's definitely like a personal sort of essay format, sort of. That's amazing. And for my money, that's what gets me most excited in beer. The people and the stories and why are mm -hmm. we making this beer and who is making it and where do they come from? So I'm excited to read and keep reading. You've only just started it, right? Yeah. I did really like, like last week I wrote about, um, and this was a serious mm -hmm. one, obviously, but just about women, uh, non-binary people, just pretty much everyone, but, you know, a, a heteronormative white dude, like how we're not always safe traveling or going to bars alone. And that was something that's important to me. It's something I've been having so many conversations about, you know, even more frequently mm -hmm. recently. So it was nice to, cause it's like, again, it's hard sometimes to like pitch these things to a limited number of publications. Right. 
So last week was one of those times where I was like, okay, I'm glad that I can like reach some people and talk about this. And that's an awesome thing. I was thinking that while you were talking like about having your own platform that like, even though you've mentioned how much you love your editors and I'm sure they're amazing at the, at the end of the day, like it's their business to be concerned right, with what course. people are going to read. And so to be in control of what you want to write, I imagine is very freeing. Yeah. Kind of on that topic, we have talked a lot on this podcast and already today about essentially the me too of beer, right? This is also a big question. Where do you feel like we go from here? What do you see? for the future of particularly that movement within our industry? I mean, I think it's become such a catchphrase that I feel like some people are afraid of this becoming empty, but like do the work. I worry that this like scares some people away because at the end of the day, like beer is something to be enjoyed. Like it's not, you don't need beer to live. Like this is like a leisure product. Um, But sorry, not sorry, right now, it comes with a side of work. Obviously, if you want to work in this industry, and you are not a mar, you know, you're not someone from a marginalized group. So like you have this position where you can be doing something like you said, you know, like get up from the bench and take a lap. And if you're in management, you are, I mean, up, you should be uprooting your systems right now to to think about how they're affecting everyone. And like, I think I've heard from some We've read things from so many different people. I think Burial had like an amazing letter that's on their website just about some of it was obviously, but I think a vast majority of some of the breweries where people were like, oh, this is less than ideal. It wasn't intentional. And again, like that's not that that's okay, but it was people being like, I never owned a business before, you know, like how many, that's like the cool thing about beer is that people are like, I was working as a bank teller. And then I was like, screw it. I dream of opening a brewery. Right. But like, you don't have met, you don't have experience managing like teams. If you're not an HR person. Exactly. So I think that's great that people like that are like, it wasn't intentional, but that doesn't mean that I get to like kick back and be like, whoops, not my fault. Didn't realize. So I think the way forward is just, we can't let up. And I think, you know, we do want to get back to this place of like, I think still being able to enjoy and like find the joy in beer is important because that's how we keep people engaged and caring and that's we don't we would lose jobs if people were like oh forget this and like stopped going to breweries and buying beer but yeah like that joy again it's it has to come with work like those two have to keep coming hand in hand and I already see a lot of good change happening but like I think it's gonna be a while it's a long road ahead there's a lot to do I agree but it's nice to see as you mentioned for all the places like putting up empty Instagram posts of like we will be better there are places who are digging in and uprooting systems and hopefully we can all get on board with that. You got to get on board. Get on board or get off the bus. I literally took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> out of my mouth, Courtney. Well, you mentioned at the beginning of our chat kind of feeling like a beer interloper. You know, I spoke to Mandy Niglich a while ago, who's also a beer writer and a journalist, and we talked a lot about that. But I want to hear more about, obviously, to me, you're in the community, right? How do you like kind of navigate that border of kind of feeling like an outsider? Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Maybe you don't feel like an outsider. I don't no, know. No, no, you're not. No, no. I liked like when Mandy said that too. It's funny because it's always like you can recognize that in other people, but not yeah. yourself. Like when she said that, I was like talking back to her on the podcast. <laughs> I was like, you're crazy. Like you are a beer expert. Like, you know, um, But I get it because as we've talked about, like if a lot of times it's like, if you're not a brewer or you don't work in sales, like you're, you're like, well, am I really in this thing? And I think it also comes from like time I spent like interning and doing some work in music where I was like, 
and then starting to write about it where it's kind of like well you're not in a band so like and there's a much bigger divide in music where they actually like the band thinks it's like that almost famous sort of cliche where it's like are you out to get us and i think when i came to beer i i like wanted everyone to know i was like listen again that is a beat right where people are turning a really hard eye on like your sales and like things like that and i'm like that's not what i'm here for i if i'm writing about you it's because i think you're cool and have a cool story and like then you know especially when i was like i want to get into the consulting side and i started doing the blog over at taproom which is a rad beer e-commerce platform uh shout out yes thank you for bringing that up yeah i mean just that just you know being able to do something it's still writing but it's a little bit more you know thinking about like brand partnerships and things like that so that to me it was funny because like when i started doing that i was like oh now i'm a little more like in the industry rather than just writing about it which is silly i know but again it's like how it's all how you feel it's like the imposter syndrome of it all um so yeah i just was always questioning if if i show up to a beer event are people like oh, well, you're a beer writer. Like, what are you doing? And I think more and more over the last couple of years, like the biggest antidote to that has just been the people like New York City winning beer and like, you know, meeting people like you uh, that are like, hey, come on to this party. Like that it doesn't matter that you are not literally like elbow deep in like spent grain right now. Like you can still, like, you're still a part of this. You're still participating in some way. So I think I'm shedding the imposter syndrome. Like it is, you know, I'm like, this is my world. This is what I'm working on 90% of the time. Uh, so yeah, I'm just like, always just happy to be here and hoping that I like am literally here, you know? (laughs) I mean, not that I'm any sort of arbiter of your hereness, but you're here. <laughs> but I totally like that is resonating with me so much cuz even like as a bartender it even feels like well, you know, I'm like pouring these beers, but am I part of this? But so I but I think the point is that all roads whether you're writing about beer, whether you're pouring it, whether you're making it, all roads lead to glorifying the liquid and the community and the people behind it. So we're all doing the same job essentially. Oh my god, there's one major thing even above the Broadway of it all that I wanted to ask you that when I saw this on your newsletter, I was like, what? Two words, beer tarot. What? What the app? <laughs> what? what the hell is that about? Yeah, I just got really into tarot maybe over the last couple of years, just like going to pre-pandemic, like very close to before the pandemic, doing like tarot classes at Brooklyn Brainery with a friend of mine and just like a couple of my friends and I just kind of all got into it at the same time. I got really obsessed and hobbies don't usually stick well with me because I'm... <laughs> As you know, like when you're not like a nine to fiver, you're like, well, I'm doing stuff all the time that's like part of work, but that I love. I'm like, it's hard to like be like, okay, work done. Now I'm going to knit. I don't know. Literally, my therapist asked me recently, like, well, do you, what are your hobbies? I said, I don't, I don't know that word. Go on, go on. <laughs> what, what is that? So tarot stuck. But of course, because I am in that mindset and I do, I am on this career path. I'm like, how can I make this into work, right? (laughs) You have to make it work for you. So when I knew I was gonna start the newsletter, the newsletter has been a thing I want to do for a really long time. And again, like I know, you know, you, you maybe relate to this the podcast, like it's finally just like, well, if I don't do it now, especially like pandemic times and whatnot. But I was like, I want to do something else that's not just like the writing that I would get to do maybe elsewhere for other reasons. So at first I thought it was going to be a real stretch. 
I was like, people are not going to buy this, that I'm connecting tarot to beer. Like, it's not going to make sense. But it's been easier than I thought. Like, tarot, you can you can connect that to, like, a good beer recommendation. And it's been really fun. Oh, I'm buying it. I'm I'm all in. How do we make sure the people get to your newsletter? How What's the best way to go to find it? It's a Substack. So I believe it's huggingthebar.substack.com. But I feel like the easiest way to find all of that is if you – Go to my Instagram at Highway to Hops. I have like a link tree that it's in. I will be linking that all in ye old show notes. So don't even worry, people. Click, just scroll down or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what you listen to this on. Just scroll down and click it. Well, Courtney, this has been a joy. And um, I'm so honored that you came on. And of course, we all know what time it is. <gasps> my favorite. It's quick fire time. Okay. <laughs> Let's do this. What's your most overrated beer style? I know everyone says this, but they say it for a reason. It's the hazy IPA. And I love hazy IPAs. I do. But they don't need they don't need all that hype. There are many out there that are too hyped. Cake or pie? Cake. Mm. Hard hard call but cake. I'm also team cake strongly okay what's the most underrated beer style i think it's starting to get i mean it's nowhere hazy ipa reputation it's starting to grow but i'm still gonna say a dark lager that is like my favorite thing of all time mild dark lager like anything in that category i want to see more 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 love i feel like they are having at least like in this past fall and winter a major moment yes I'm here for it. What do your friends come to you for? Definitely to like have like long, 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 like heart to heart. Like I have to vent and let it all out uh, on like a real serious note. And then the other two things would definitely be travel. Like what brewery or bar or restaurant am I going to in the city and TV? I love, I love to just yell at people about what to watch. Okay, great. Well, that's going to come in handy in about two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite thing you've ever overheard while sitting at the bar, while hugging the bar, if you will? <laughs> nice. Um, I've, there's been a lot just cause I'm the kind of person that like, if you're a really loud talker, I can't tune you out like at the table next to me, but my memory is not so great. So this is the one it's cheesy, but it just stands out to me. I was at my local here in like South Slope, which is Skylark one of my favorite bars sitting outside. I think this was around April, like when vaccinations were like, I think like maybe around when like hospitality people started finding out that they could get vaccinated. And there was a group of people sitting next to us that were all like bar owners, bar managers, like in neighborhood bars. And they were talking about how people who worked in their bars who had moved away, like gone back home, like far from New York during the pandemic were coming back and like looking to like get things going. And I was like, ah, New York is back, baby. That is, again, a very positive, exciting answer to a shady-ass question. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can be shady. Oh, but, no, no. You know. <laughs> that, we, like, we like a positive spin. I'm a shady enough on my own. Okay. To your previous point, what is the last show that you binged and loved? Or just like recommend me some TV? Uh, well, this is really hard for me because, yeah, I, I, I don't know how. I squeeze in like a lot of TV somehow. I think I have a problem. Uh <laughs> And there's so much dark TV out there, and I do love a lot of it, like the gritty, crime, all that good stuff. Uh, but I'm going to go with two. Again, I'm going to keep it fun. I started Drag Race Season 1, like, like it's been about a year, and I am all the way caught up, like, currently watching All Star 6 right now. And I cry a lot. Like, I just, like, of joy. Like, I just, like, watch people lip sync for their lives and, like, cry at what people can do. And I so, like, that's a good one for that. 
And then uh, Hacks. Have you watched Hacks? I haven't finished it yet, but yes, I, I'm a Jean Smart stan. I'm obsessed with her. Yes. The comedy world. I love any anything that's going to go there and yeah. Jean Smart. It's just <sighs> too good of a combo. Oh my God. She's an absolute icon. Mayor of Easttown. Wow. Again, maybe am I going to start a Gene Smart podcast? Maybe. Also, thank you for saying Drag Race because you guys, I have a confession, listeners. I, though I am an ally, I have never watched Drag Race and I feel like it's so, and I have so many friends who like are about about to disown me for it, but like, (laughs) I feel like we're so far in that like I'm, I'm yeah. not in the vernacular. You so can do it. You inspire you me. You inspire me. Thank you. You don't have to go all the way back to season one. It's too overwhelming, but you know. Thank you. I feel empowered. <laughs> um, what is your desert island beer? Ooh, that's hard. You know what? This is going to be controversial, but one of my favorite beers of all time is the Threes Brewing Short Fuse Smoked Hell's Locker. And I know smoked beers, people are like, either like love it or like get away from me. Is that a big commitment for like my, um, that's my desert island beer? Yeah, but like I like a, something that's crisp and clean, but also has like something really interesting happening. I love a smoked beer. And generally I like to be like punched in the face. Like if it's smoky, I want it to be yeah. smoky. But that yeah. beer I love because it's not, so, it's all, yes, yes. I love that you said that. Ugh. Speaking of all of your travel expertise, if you could get on a plane right now, COVID notwithstanding, of course, where would you go? Also a hard choice, but I think I, it would have to be Cape Town. That's my, I've only been there once, but it's my favorite place I've ever been. I've just been dying to go back ever since. And it was on the books, like pre-pandemic. So that's just been pushed. And yeah, I miss it. That's a first. Recommend. Haven't gotten that answer yet. This is a not a question I normally ask, but I have to ask you, Courtney, what's your favorite musical? Cabaret. Cabaret. Ugh. <laughs> Maybe this time. Oh, my God. I can't believe Ugh. I just sang on the podcast. Yes. I can, and I love oh, it. <laughs> yeah. lucky. Incredible. Well, Courtney Eisman, thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me live vicariously through your child self as a child actor and oh. also just bringing your brilliance. For the first time maybe ever on the pod, I have quite a bit of beer left in my glass. Will you take us out? With a toast. Oh, here's your shadiness for you. I have a shady toast just because this is from Real Housewives of New York, but it's just catchy and I love it. Here's to those who wish us well. All the rest can go to hell. As if I couldn't love you anymore, you pull out a Real Housewives (laughs) of New York quote. Cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, I am so sorry that I felt the need to break out into song, but what can I say? Courtney inspired me. In fact, nearly everything Courtney said resonated with me. From her thoughts on the layered world of beer social media, to not just, quote, making space at the table, but getting up from that bench, taking a lap, giving others your seat, and, of course, to what inclusion and a general culture shift look like for us as an industry moving forward. If you loved hearing Courtney's thoughts as much as I did, head on over to her Instagram at Highway to Hops to find a link to so many of her recent articles and a link to subscribe to her fabulous new newsletter, Hugging the Bar. You might even see a little Q&A with a familiar face, or should I say voice. Thank you so much to Courtney for taking the time to talk to me, even though you did trigger the biggest regret of my life. 
not being able to play Annie. Okay? Thank you, as always, to Megan Bagala for our Garubi theme music and to Sabrina Rain at the Hoppia Shop for our graphic. Thank you all for listening. And if you have a minute, go ahead and head on over to Apple Podcasts, give me a five-star rating, and maybe write some nice words. I will be back in two weeks with another chat with a fabulous member of our craft beer industry. In the meantime, head on over to Instagram and follow me at Brews with Bras. Bye.